one vegan burrito. Ah, ah, ah. Two vegan burritos. Ah, ah, ah. We are on, right? I'm Dustin Harder, and this is Keep On Cooking. Hello, and welcome to Keep On Cooking, the podcast dedicated to plant based cookbooks and the authors who wrote those cookbooks. I'm your host, Dustin Harder. Thank you for tuning in today. And he's so cool to a point that even ice cubes become jealous of him. He's my husband and producer of the podcast, David Rossetti. How are you, my love? I'm cold. He's, He's a cold, cold as... snake. What were you going to sing? <laughs> cold as ice. Uh-oh. <laughs> but I love Wait, how we both went What there. is cold as ice? I don't know. It's from something, and I can't think of that. There's a Britney song called Hot as Ice. I don't think it's a Britney yeah, song. I don't think you would have pulled out a B-side Britney you. reference. I, <laughs> I am doing well. How about you? Oh, I'm fantastic, darling. What are we eating this week? What have we had? Mm, what have we had this I week? I don't know. We already talked about it. We're, we're recording a little earlier than usual because I got a massive week ahead of me with lots of things to do. Getting it done. Yes. Um, well, tonight we just had mac and cheese actually from the book that we're going to talk about. The true. book we're talking about today is uh, by Matt Frazier and Stephanie Romine. It's the No Meat Athlete Cookbook, Whole Food Plant-Based Recipes to Fuel Your Workouts and the Rest of Your Life. Whoa, that's a big spread. That is a big spread. Um, and tonight we had, uh, it's like a roasted red pepper mac from. Yeah, and it was with uh, cauliflower it's, and well, I added oh, you I added that? some oh, veggies great. for Have us, honey. Fun. And we did that with modern table pasta, which is a nice uh, pasta that's out there on the market these days. I think it was a it's a lentil penne. Oh, yeah, we, they can make they can make penne in it from anything. It was a super easy cheese sauce to make. It is on the healthier side, so I'll give you guys that. Uh, oil-free, salt-free, which we get into that a lot in this book. We talk about oil-free, and uh, I'm not sure we touch much on salt-free, but... uh yeah, we talk about all those things. So, but we also talk about going outside of that and how, you know, to be expansive, it's not for everyone. So, it's definitely not about going oil free. That's not this episode, honeys. Um, but, David, here's the book. Why don't you <sighs> flip to some recipes? We've both cooked stuff from this book yeah, before. I've made some bars from it. You did. You made some green bars that were Ooh. actually, at first, I was like, hmm, I don't know about these. But then you, we, after we put them in the fridge, they were super they delicious. They had, they had spirulina in them. Yeah, but you know, I, we, <laughs> I, spirulina. We, we talk about it in the interview. They're, they were really, after they were in the fridge, I really liked them. Yeah, no, they're delicious. But it's and, a healthy bar again. Yeah. yeah. Please welcome to the stage, spirulina. Spir- <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, it works too many times. What'd okay. you flip to in there? Olive chickpea waffles. Oh my. Oh. Like yum, meaning yum, yum. there's, it's, is it a savory waffle? I think so, basically. Oh. Chickpea flour, garbanzo bean flour, kind of like, I don't know, makes makes the batter. All right. Uh, Matt talks a lot about in the interview how he's a savory guy, not a sweet guy. Uh, so maybe that was a savory waffle in there. Ooh, we talk Ooh. about that. This is one of my favorite recipes in the book you just flipped dump into. What is it, David? Oh, here we go. <clears throat> a beet bourguignon. Bourguignon. I actually made this for my friend uh, Alex Mateo. Uh, y'all might know her. I did a podcast with her. Uh, she still has it. It's called uh, Pull It Together. We co-hosted the first season together, and I made this for her. We talked about it on an episode. She loved it, and she is not vegan at all. At all. She was kind of blown away by it. Um, and then I opened up to another um, Better Than Takeout Curry. Ah! 
actually, I have made that. See, I've used this book a lot. I this I did this for clients who were trying to slim down a little bit. Um, so I made that from there. So lots of great stuff in this book. Um, and you got a lot of markers, so that means I do. I have a lot of posters in this book. Uh, we talk about in this interview how I had done a program, Mark Fisher Fitness, which I've uh, David knows very well. But for those of you that don't, Mark Fisher Fitness is a gym in uh, New York City, and they have a program called Snatched in Six Weeks. And when Snatched. I did it, um, I made a lot of recipes from this book, and it kept me satiated, and it kept me fueled, and helped with recovery. It was really, really great for that. So it's like the name of the book is The No Meat Athlete. So athlete is very much a part of it. Matt Frazier is a marathoner and ultra runner who runs the popular fitness site No Meat Athlete. Yeah, he's author of a few books, including a new one coming out that you guys talk about in the interview. We but sure today, do. Today, you're really focusing on the dedicated to the No Meat Athlete cookbook. That's right. Uh, it's an interesting interview because the No Meat Athlete cookbook focuses on providing recipes for recovery and endurance, as I've said, and that sort of thing, and offers up options for oil-free things of that nature to really achieve optimal health. Oil-free, yeah. I think we've... we've <laughs> Listen to your excitement. Had, uh, had been eating like that every once in a while. Yes, yes, I have cooked for you like that once upon a time, and I still Which is do. Challenging. Well, I still do cook like that often. I just yeah. don't say it anymore. I don't tell you when Ooh, there's no oil. I can't in tell. It. <laughs> uh, but I also touch on that in this interview. But uh, what I like is that we got past the book a little bit and talked about his current cooking interest. Uh, and I enjoyed hearing that he was open to chatting beyond the book in this instance because it shows that he isn't so rigid. You know, yeah, like, sure. we always think that about athletes. They're so rigid. They only do this and they only do that. But it was a fun chat. Uh, we talked about stuff that he's cooking right now, as well as what's in the book, his favorite things from the book. So here to talk about the No Meat Athlete Cookbook, Whole Food, Plant-Based Recipes to Fuel Your Workouts and the Rest of Your Life, it's Matt Frazier. <laughs> He don't eat meat, and he's an athlete, actually an author and ultra marathoner. It's the founder of No Meat Athlete, Matt Frazier. Welcome to the podcast. So happy you're here. How are you doing? I am doing good, Dustin. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to do this. Yeah, fantastic. Let's get right into your icebreaker question. What is something people might not know about you? Well, I've talked about it a few times on our podcast, but not that much, and that is that I am something of a minimalist. Uh a little bit in the kitchen, but but really just kind of in in the rest of my life. I guess I should call it more of like a suburban minimalist because like we we it's not like we're we're cramped for space, and I have kids, and their stuff overflows everywhere. But as far as my own like personal things go, uh, I'm I'm really kind of dedicated to like making sure I I only have the absolute essentials for relatively speaking. I mean, of course. Well, how uh, is that balance? That's very interesting to me because you you have a family. Am I correct? You have children, and yes. how many people in your household? There are four of us total, two so kids. So four total. So how do you manage being a minimalist? Is everyone sort of taking on that role in your house or is it just you? They are They are slowly uh, adopting a little bit of it. I've, I've kind of like about, I don't know, seven, eight years ago when I really started getting into this, I like made the mistake of trying to have them do it too. And like, and just sort of like got, got sort of upset that everyone had all this stuff. And, uh, and then I eventually kind of chilled out and said, you know what, they, they can have their thing, uh, but the things that are actually mine personally, uh, and my personal like spaces, I'm going to make sure that those have, have very, very little. Uh, so, you know, I just have, have only, I don't know, probably five or six shirts that I, that I actually wear. Sure. Um, and the rest are just, you know, either stored away or, or donated. Um, 
So yeah, yeah I, just, the, I don't know. It's so interesting to me because I've actually been in the last year, because we moved from New York, my husband and I moved from New York to Atlanta. And in that, you know, we purged a lot of stuff, but we're looking at, we just bought a condo now and we're, we're going to be moving again. And I'm like, okay, I really want to get a hold on this and like, like, like just focus in on my absolute necessities. Um, it's hard because of all the cooking I do with cookbooks and stuff, sure. but if kitchen wise specifically, but I just, when I say it to him, I can see him. He's interested, but there's a bit of fear in his eyes too when i talk about <laughs> right. minimalism so i'm just like right. how do you manage that with another person but i mean that's great you kind of start with yourself and go from there that makes all the sense and 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 i i think that's a good perspective to like let other people see and then if they're gonna join in then great then we're yeah we're which doing is just this like together with, just like with veganism that's how i've approached that as well yeah want to do it right i mean the family they have to do it but sure if other people sure, want to sure. do it cool yeah yeah but, yeah, uh, well, yeah but but the minimalism i think it, it actually has had this sort of surprise, like I thought it was just sort of like a space and visual clutter issue at first, but then it's just become sort of like a, almost like a spiritual thing, like where it's like, I, it has really taught me that like the things kind of don't really matter yeah. and, and like you can, you can go without them and then you start focusing instead on like, you know, just what you do and experiences and all that. And, and it really has become something of like something more, something deeper than just like not having stuff around me. Uh, well, so I could do a whole podcast on this. Don't worry. We're not going to maybe another time. But because then my question is, do you also just feel lighter? Like, do you just feel a little freer not being having all this stuff that you're sort of attached to? Yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. And again, it's like it's limited because our family still has tons of stuff because we right, might, right. Make it. But like just in, in on a very personal level, somehow it feels like, yes, like I'm, I'm just I don't know. I feel like I could just go anywhere and do whatever. And I could, I could just blend right in with that situation because I don't, I'm not carrying all this baggage of stuff. Oh, you just lit a fire in me. That was a spark. <laughs> good, good. That's good. a great answer to hear today. Uh, something people might not know about me is I played every sport in middle school, except football. Um, I'm not so much into playing sports anymore, but there was a time in my early years, I fancied myself a little athletic. So I thought I would bring that up today, considering you awesome. being on, but never an ultra marathoner. Can you clue me in and maybe our listeners? What exactly is an ultra marathoner? Yes. Uh, so an ultra marathoner, really an ultra marathon is anything that is longer than a marathon. So it could be, I guess in theory, it could be 26.3 miles would make you an ultra marathoner. Cause a marathon is how long? 26.2 miles. There we go. So, okay. so typically 31 miles or 50 K is the, uh, is the shortest you know, actual ultra marathon. Uh, so anyone who does those things is, is an ultra marathoner. And, uh, I did several of those, several fifties, some 50 milers, and then one, uh, 100 miler. So that's, you know, it's, it's basically running very, very slow. People think it's crazy. Like, how could you possibly do that? It's, it's not crazier than like running a marathon because you, you slow down from that and you're out there all day. Like my, my hundred miler took me 28 hours. Uh, so it's not like you're, you know, breathing heavy for, for 28 hours. Sure, you're, sure. You're, you're pacing it's a, it's, it. a, it's a, yeah, it's a slog fest. I mean, and do you have these lined up on your, are you doing more or like what, where do you stand in that? I have not done one since 2013, which okay. is when I, I did my hundred miler and I loved it. It wasn't like it was this horrible experience that made me want to quit running forever. Uh, but after I did that, I, I have not found like the fire that says like, I need to go train for another race. And that sure. I had my, we had our second child, right, right. Like two months before that. Um, and I don't think that's really impacted it that much. It just sort of has made me like be interested in lots of different things. Uh, not, not just going out and running. So like to, to go off and run eight hours on a Saturday and then four on Sunday, right. you know, it just like, it worked really well at one point in my life when I was so excited to do that. What seemed to me like sure. an impossible thing, run a hundred miles. Uh, but once I did that, it was like, I don't know. I don't, I'm not that interested in just running another to do it faster. I just, well, 
Because how long do you train for it when you do it? I mean, like the official training, like to build up to a hundred miler for me was six months, but it took, you know, the, the year before that was, was kind of building a mileage base. And then several years before that, a running marathon. So, you know, it was a, it was a many year thing. All right. Well, and when we're talking about, we're talking about 2013, I think Nomi Athlete started in 2009. Is that correct? That's right. And it's much more than the books you've written. It's become a community for people to learn and grow from my observation. So can you tell us about Nomi Athlete, how it started and what it's grown into today? Yes. Uh, so as you mentioned in 2009, um, I was, I was trying to qualify for the Boston marathon. That was like my, my obsession at that point, uh, <laughs> which took running a, a much faster marathon than I had been able to run when I first started. Uh, so I just kept, had kept getting better and better at running and, and faster, but finally I had plateaued about 10 minutes shy of the time I needed to get into Boston. So I had taken like 90 minutes off my marathon time and I was still 10 minutes shy. Um, and then I, I actually more for ethical reasons decided to start eating uh, a vegetarian diet back then. Wasn't, didn't even really know what vegan was, uh, but I, I went vegetarian and, and like my thinking wasn't, Hey, this is going to help me suddenly, you know, qualify for this race. It was more like, I need to not lose any ground because I have this ethical, you know, inconveniently sure. to go vegetarian. So I did it. Uh, and I was looking all around for information on the internet and I just couldn't find anything. What I could find was like, either just looked, seemed very sketchy and not scientific at all, or like really kind of unwelcoming, like preachy sort of thing. And I just, I was like, wow, there should be a site that's about how to do this. Cause I know there are some athletes who make this work. Um, and so I, I just started blogging about my rest, you know, the recipes I was doing and how, how I was adjusting some, you know, train basic nutrition advice to make it work with the vegetarian diet. Um, and then it just, it just worked really well for me. And the blog kind of took off as people, you know, as I was writing about getting faster. And so six months after I made the switch and started the blog, I qualified for Boston um, and then I, I really started to learn that people didn't just make this work. Like a lot of athletes were choosing this diet. Uh, back then it was kind of just like the niche endurance athletes. Yeah. It wasn't popular yet. Um, but they were choosing this diet because it helped them be faster and recover better and all this. So then I, you know, started getting into ultra running and went totally vegan. Um, and yeah, and just, and so that was, that was 11 years ago. Now the site, uh, as you mentioned, became a lot of things, became a podcast, became books. Uh, this running group kind of run local running groups community thing we do um, and has spawned other businesses off it as well. So it's really, it has really been a, a life changing endeavor uh, for me, for sure. That's really great. It's, it sounds like <clears throat> it's the classic thing of you saw the need and you delivered and then people were like, Hey, I need this. I want this. So <laughs> you were providing something for people. It was great. Yeah. Uh, and you've got, there's two books, there's the cookbook and another book, right? Another book came out before the cookbook. Is that correct? That's right. There was a book called just called No Meat Athlete that came out in uh, I think that was actually 2013 as well, and then the book cookbook was in 2017. And I actually have a new book that's coming out. I haven't really talked about it almost right. to anyone. Um, oh, we got the out. scoop! Tell us the scoop then. Yeah. Can you tell us about the new book? <laughs> yeah. So uh, my friend Robert Cheek, who is uh, a vegan bodybuilder and really one of the the I mean almost founders of this vegan athlete movement. He was he was vegan long before I was, and he was one of the people who really was a big inspiration for me to become vegan. Um, he and I teamed up and, and, uh, have, have interviewed a whole bunch of, of, uh, more mainstream than, than, you know, the, just the, the endurance sports, uh, athletes who, who in the past few years have, have chosen or had success with plant-based diets. Um, and you know, so, so it's got lots of their advice and 
uh, it's called the plant-based athlete. It's all about, you know, really everything a plant-based athlete would need to know. And I think the difference between that and my previous stuff is like the previous Nomad athlete book, um, was, was my story and how the plant-based diet worked for me. And that's what pretty much every, you know, plant-based athlete book so far has been. It's been the individual story of what worked for them. Sure. Uh, so this one, we're trying to put it on like a bigger stage and say like, let's, let's look at what lots and lots of top athletes are doing, not just us. Um, cause we're not, I mean, honestly, I'm not even a top athlete. I'm just a regular guy who, who has gotten into this. Uh, but like, you know, let's, let's see what others are doing and, and let's, let's synthesize that into some, some advice that, uh, you know, anyone could use to, to start eating and training this way. That's great. It's like a more expansive view. It's not just the one person writing it. It's from more people. Is that, when's, when's it coming out? Uh, it is scheduled right now for May, 2021. Hey, we're around the same time. My next cookbook's coming out May 4th. Oh, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Uh, so that's the plant-based at- athlete on yes. May, 2021, everyone. That's with Robert Cheek. Is he of, uh, strong vegan or vegan strong on Instagram? Do I have that right? Or no? He is, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's sort of one of the directors of the vegan strong tour. Vegan strong. That's it. Yeah. yeah I, um, I believe I follow him. Uh, and when we think about cookbooks, though, your first book, No Meat Athlete, Run on Plants and Discover Your Fittest, Fastest, Happiest Self, that also has recipes in it, correct? That does. Yeah, that has uh, – I'd say the recipes in that are a little bit less interesting than the ones in the No Meat Athlete cookbook. <laughs> They're kind of the ones that I, like, developed or tweaked other things into during those first few years when I was, when I was figuring it out. Well, and when we talk about the first three years in cookbooks, when you decided you, you went from vegetarian then to vegan, do you remember what your first like whole foods plant-based cookbook was that you owned something that you really like cooked from a lot and learned from a lot? Yeah. Uh, my first one. So I got this when I was vegetarian, the first vegan books that I bought, cause it, and it was like, it was really exciting. I don't know to think about like, Oh my gosh, there are people who are vegan, not just vegetarian. Uh, and it almost felt like I was like, I don't know, going into this, this area that I shouldn't go when I, it was a thousand <laughs> vegan recipes from Robin Robertson. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, it just seemed intense. Like to bring home a cookbook of a thousand vegan recipes when my wife had just barely agreed to go vegetarian a few weeks, months before this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, and I, we cooked, I mean, probably a hundred from that one. Uh, and still, there are still a few like the, like the Mac and shard recipe she has. My kids love that one. And we still, still make that one. So that book, uh, it's very tattered by now, but but still does come out every now and then. That's great. I feel you. I think you're the second or third person to say that was their first vegan cookbook. Oh, yeah. So that one has certainly made its way onto people's shelves. Uh, and now we're digging into your cookbook, uh, which you co-wrote with Stephanie Romine. Is that right? Is that how you say your yes, name? That's right. Good job. Stephanie Romine. So we're talking about the No Meat Athlete Cookbook. This is a dedicated cookbook. Uh, you may say many wonderful things in this intro, but. I particularly enjoyed your honesty in terms of transitioning diet-wise, which we've touched on a little bit, but you you talk about taking small steps and mentioning it took you a year to transition into vegetarian, then two more into vegan. I feel like there's a lot of pressure um, that often scares people and intimidates people from trying uh, to go vegan, but you have a great way of saying to people, it's okay, take small steps. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's very different. I know, I know there are some vegans who don't like that attitude at all, who, who think if you're not, if you're not being all the way vegan, then you're, you know, you're not doing enough basically. Um, and, and I do think like everyone, you know, if, if you're going to be interested in this and you want to do this for animal reasons or environmental reasons, like, yeah, I mean, you should, you should strive to get as far as you can. But I, if, if the only, if going in, you think I have to do it all, or I'm not going to do it at all. I feel like so many people will, will get lost that way and just not even try. Uh, or, We'll try when try something they're not ready for, and like you know, feel like they have to go for it. And sometimes this happens for more positive reasons. Someone's watches a, a documentary and they're so excited that they just go vegan overnight. 
Um, and you do hear about those people now and then who, who did that and that's their story. But I feel like we just lose so many who do that. And then, you know, they're perfect for a week and then a weekend they, they go to happy hour and they realize, Oh, there's not actually at a typical bar. There's not sure. typically vegan happy hour food. And you're just not ready for that. And you mess up. And then it's like the perfectionism has set in and now you messed up once. So you sort of just give up. I so, couldn't agree with you more though. It's that thing of sort of meeting people where, where they're at and, and right. just being like, Hey, it's okay. It's okay. You know, you'll get there <laughs> right. if you want to over time. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's the thing. I mean, yeah, in some cases, yes, like there is more urgency to actually get to like, if right. the doctor tells you you have heart disease and you have to start eating a plant-based diet in order to keep living, then, then sure, that's a different story. Uh, but I just feel like the slow approach, even though the gains aren't quite as fast, you know, the gains for the movement or for your individual health, um, I feel like it's worth the wait if you, if you take your time, if that's what you need to do. I couldn't agree with you more. You also mentioned you started skipping the protein powder in the intro, basically because you forgot to replenish your supply <laughs> yeah. after a month and you didn't notice a difference. Uh, what can you tell our listeners on that front? Because I kind of love the the casual the 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 casual sort of like reference in there of like, oh, I just kind of forgot to buy more, and then I just started going without it. I didn't notice a difference after a month. How was that not noticing a difference? Like, and I guess I'm asking you to address the protein question essentially mm-hmm. but then also sure. say you know what was the difference you didn't notice what did you think you should have seen as the difference that you didn't see we'll be back after a quick break hey bar and girl fans it's jim with madhouse bar talk where me and my co-hosts sit around and talk about the things going on around madhouse bar and grill in Elyria, ohio the whole conversation is unscripted uncensored and unedited. Anywhere where you stream podcasts, just remember, Madhouse Bar Talks, baby. You know, that's a good question. Um, I don't really know what it was. It was just this thing that like, when I remember when I first went vegetarian, uh, it was like, well, if I'm going to do that, I need to make sure I start having this smoothie in the morning that has this, this back then, whey protein powder, right. powder added to it. Uh because, you know, it's just it's such this deep thing that's like, we need the protein, we need the protein. And if you go vegetarian or vegan, then you're, you're losing that. And so I just had this thing that like, if I didn't have that, something would fall off, right? Right, so, right. Like something right. would go wrong. It might, I would break down, I would get injured, I wouldn't have energy. I just didn't know what it was. So because of that, I just sort of bought into it and kept, kept even four or five years into this. I think I'd been vegan now at this point for, for three years when this happened. Um, when this was when I was training for the hundred mile race, actually. Uh, and, and I ran out and just didn't buy more out of laziness. And I was training harder than I ever had and more miles than I ever had. Uh, but also eating better than I ever had. And I was eating a whole lot of, you know, just, just whole food, fruit, vegetables, nuts, seeds, grains, all that stuff. Um, and I, and I just didn't feel this urgency to buy more protein for some reason. Uh, so I didn't, and I just kept training. And then I, you know, a couple weeks in just, kept not buying more because nothing had happened. Right. <laughs> and then, and then months later I ran the hundred miler still hadn't bought protein powder and, and really have never used it regularly since. Um, so I, I'm not trying to say like protein powder is wrong or bad or no. doesn't have a place because it certainly does. Like, like, like we were just talking about, like if that's what helps you feel the confidence that you need to, to, to do this, uh, by all means, get some, get some good plant-based protein powder. You can find some, some good. And in fact, I should disclose, I have a company that we sell a like protein powder, that is very minimally processed. Uh, it's called complement protein. 
But anyway, I, you know, I think there are certain people who it's great for like my kids. I, I try to get more calories in my kids cause they're both athletes and they both, you know, don't eat quite as much as they want them to. So to put some protein powder in their smoothie, uh, for, to me, I think that's a good thing as long as it's one that I know is healthy. Right. Uh, likewise, people who are, who are over 60 or 65, they start to have a little bit higher protein need. Uh, so if they're going to eat a plant-based diet, I think it is good to, unless you want to be ultra focused on getting it through foods. Uh, I think it is good to think about it a little bit and maybe add a protein powder to your diet. But for, for a lot of people, uh, you know, who aren't in those, those ages, they're more in the middle. Uh, I think really, if you just if you just eat whole foods, I think even without focusing on it, you can get enough protein on a plant-based yeah, diet. I think that's been, I mean, and this is always, as vegans, we're kind of like, oh yeah, this topic. But it's like, <laughs> it's that thing of, uh, somewhere along the line, someone was like, well, you're not going to get enough protein then. And the whole world sort of freaked out. And that became the big question. Well, where are you getting your protein? <laughs> when the fact right. is, if you eat a whole food plant-based diet, you're getting all the protein you need. Yeah. Um, so it, it was just kind of cool to read that you were like, oh, I kind of forgot to buy it and then guess what didn't notice a difference <laughs> and then you talk about the key to healthy weight and uh you also give us the answer to why no oil i actually go both ways but i tend to lean more on going without oil uh as i move on in my cooking journey and oh, there yeah. were yeah and there was a time i went completely without it purposely to see the difference it made and it definitely made a difference uh but can you give our listeners the answer to why no oil Yes. So I, I will first upfront acknowledge that I also use some oil still. Uh, I kind of go back and forth. I went through a period where I didn't use any and, uh, I, you know, I really like Mediterranean cooking a whole lot and it's, it's just such an integral part of that, that I often put it in. Sure. And I tell my, I tell myself stories about it being healthy because it's part of the blue zones <laughs> diets. And all, yeah, who knows? It's, it's really hard to tell. Even when you look at the science, it's, it is hard to tell, uh, to me, whether it's healthy or not. Right. The reason, the, the good reason not to do it, I mean, if you're trying to lose weight, if you have some pounds you want to get rid of, try cutting the oil out because you will automatically remove, you know, a few hundred calories from your diet per day, yeah. uh, which for a lot of people is, it might be 10, 15% of their, of their calories that are just gone. And you really don't notice they're gone. Yes, your food will taste a little bit different. You'll have to adjust some cooking techniques sometimes. Maybe you'll have to use some water to saute something. Right. And when you do that, you lose some of the richness of the flavor. But honestly, like, I swear, I mean, maybe, maybe side by side, you, you can tell the difference. Uh, but I didn't really notice that my food was, was any, you know, less enjoyable when I, sure. when I was cooking with no oil whatsoever. So anyway, it's, it's very calorically dense oil, I think has, um, I believe it's 4,000 calories per pound and no one needs a pound of oil, but like that means a, a small amount, a tablespoon or a teaspoon is still giving you a, a good number of calories right? compared to like, you know, every other food, any like whole food, especially a plant, um, is going to be like, you know, between 200 and, and 600 calories per pound. And, and like, as you get into nuts and seeds and fattier things, of course it, it gets more, but like, it's just, it's kind of this thing that just like adds all these calories to your diet. So like, that's, that's one reason not to, not to eat it. Uh, if you have heart disease risk, arterial inflammation is, is, uh, you know, pretty clearly linked to, to eating oil, even olive oil. And, uh, it's just, it's just one of the things to get rid of if, if you, if you're worried about heart disease. Uh, and also it just doesn't have a lot of micronutrients like plant-based diets are so good because the foods we eat when they're whole foods, they pack so much, so many micronutrients into the calories that they provide you. Oil gives you lots and lots of those calories and really not very much in the way of micronutrients at all. Uh, right. Micronutrients just being vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, all that kind of stuff. Um, so it just, you know, as you move towards a healthier and healthier diet, I think, you know, you reach a point where like, that's the least healthy food you're still eating. And, uh, 
I think it's worth it's worth going for a while without it and just seeing seeing if it's for you or not. Yeah, I really enjoyed it when I did it. In this book too, you give the oil free options, gluten free options, and soy free options uh, for every recipe, which is great. And uh, I used the, the No Meat Athlete Cookbook when I started doing an intense training program when I lived in New York, and um, I was satisfied with this food. I hit maximum results so much so that the owner of the gym was sort of like amazed at my numbers, huh. uh, and he like he was like, "Can I tell the rest of the team about this?" After we did like the whole where. <laughs> you know the before and after with all the the numbers and everything and i I was like yeah i just kind of was like dude vegan and i was going no oil at the time because i did i was really trying to shed some pounds so i felt better um and i was proud of myself when using this book it made it so much easier for me to hit my goals and to recover um and when i started one of my treats though was a breakfast item i would have the almond butter pancakes uh banana pancakes usually on a, a weekend a saturday treat is there a mm-hmm. favorite of yours from the breakfast chapter in this book something for breakfast you love from this book uh i mean i'm much more of like a, a savory breakfast eater i just don't have a sweet tooth nice. for for almost anything i like them both um, oh yeah okay <laughs> good uh so i like the the daily grinder and like the uh the tofu burritos that sort of thing i don't know that's just that's just kind of what what i'm wanting in the morning I'm actually What's, not that big of a breakfast eater, believe it or not. I don't need, I, a lot of days I just wait till, or I have coffee in the morning, but then I kind of wait till close to lunchtime to eat. Yeah, I usually have like a little fruit or something. That's why I say this was like a, a week, like Saturdays yeah, or Sundays sometimes. I'm like, why don't I make some pancakes or Definitely. something today? You know, it usually happens later in the morning too, around like 11 o'clock or so. What's the grinder? Yeah. Uh, it's like just a sandwich, uh, like a like a breakfast hoagie kind of thing. Oh, nice. Uh, okay. With, with a couple slabs of tofu on there. Uh, yeah. So. Tasty. And then the tofu breakfast burrito you said, right? Uh, yes, Toku Breakfast Burrito. Fantastic. And you have some homemade sports drinks in this book. I didn't actually dig into this chapter much when I was using the book uh, because I tend to stick to just water and I had to get so much water <laughs> at the time. I was like, I can't take any more liquids. Um, but is there a certain sports drink from this book that has helped you out the most or, or sticks out the most? Yes. there. And this is one, Stephanie introduced me to this, the co-author. Uh, it's called Switchel, which I had never heard of before. I was going to ask you about that one if you didn't bring it up. So tell us about Switchel. So apparently it was it was a thing before the Nomeopathic Cookbook. Uh, somehow Stephanie knew about it. And it was like, it used to be what what workers in fields, like in farms, would would drink during the day. I don't know what period of time or where it was, but it's just like, it was like a farm thing. Uh, and it was in that way, kind of the original like sports drink. Um so people drink to replenish calories after long days or to keep not probably didn't know that they were keeping their electrolytes up, but right. they were. <laughs> uh, and so what it is, what the amazing thing about it though, with all that good backstory, when I first tasted the grape one that she made, uh, it tasted to me exactly. I mean, it's so, so close like grape Gatorade, which, ah. which when I was a kid, I remember that came out in 92, 93, probably. And it was like a new flavor of Gatorade that was out and I had to get it. And it was like the best thing. It came in this glass bottle and it was just, I thought it was just the best drink you could possibly get. Uh, and so this <laughs> tastes like that. And it's like, it's really easy to make you, you mix fruit juice with water, which is a, by the way, mix fruit juice with water, like part, one part to one part uh, and sprinkle in some sea salt. And you have a basic homemade sports drink. So like you don't need to buy Gatorades and all that, like just, sure. just do that instead. But this adds in a little bit of apple cider vinegar Oh, nice. Uh, which, and that turns out to be the secret. Like if you, you don't want to put too much, obviously, but if you put just a little bit, it somehow gets that little tanginess that, mm-hmm. that I didn't realize Gatorade has, but it does. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it's just amazingly good. So that's my kids drink for sports very often. And that's what I like to. 
That it broke down your love of Gatorade too. You were like, "What are the elements in Gatorade that <laughs> right. make me love it so much?" Exactly. Uh, when we get to the mains chapter, I've actually tackled this chapter a lot when I was doing. I used it a lot for meal prep. But uh, the better than takeout curry is easy peasy. I loved it, and I would portion mm-hmm. it into containers for a few lunches in the week. What's the main dish you would recommend to somebody just picking up this book? Uh, the Buddha bowl is really simple and easy. I mean, Buddha bowls are. It, it, this is, and this is how I actually eat most of the time is you just sort of assemble things, right? With barely any cooking. You make tofu, you make the Korean barbecue sauce, which is like the secret that makes it so good. Uh, but otherwise you're just putting vegetables and rice or quinoa into a bowl and tossing it all together and eating it. So like the, the prep time is minimal. The cleanup time is minimal. Uh, that's why I think it's a great beginner bowl. And it does have, does have soy. I guess if you, if you were concerned about soy, you could just you know swap that out and put, put some beans in uh, of any kind. Uh, but I like it as it is. <laughs> That's great. I love a good Buddha bowl. And there's some uh, soups and stews in here too. I'll be honest. I don't like beets that much, but my husband loves them. So occasionally I go all in with a beet dish and I give it a try myself, but I've, I've made the beet bourguignon and I've made it a couple times now. I'm actually going to make it again this weekend uh, because I started seeing all these pages when I pulled this book out for this interview that I had things posted up. I was like, oh, I need to make that because it's like starting to get cold. It was so hearty and delicious. Uh, but ev- that that beet bourguignon is so good. So we're in soup season. Is there a soup you can tell us about that packs the most nutrient punch for an athlete in this book? Uh, the French onion stew is is delicious. Mm. I don't know if that's it's. I mean, I'm saying that because I love it. Um, you know, what, what's good about that is you get the mushrooms in there and mushrooms are one of those foods that they, they don't provide, it's hard to call it a nutrient punch. They're not going to give you any energy for you, you know, next training. Uh, but as it gets colder and, and we all, especially this, this year, uh, talking about getting sick and preventing sick, mushrooms are really, really good food. And many of them are like, they're, you know, medicinal as many people know. Um, but I feel like there are food that like we, even people who are healthy eaters to me, don't eat enough mushrooms. Sure. It's hard to work them into meals. Uh, so any chance you can, you can do that, like, in like adding them into a French onion stew where they normally don't belong. Um, <laughs> you know, and so this French onion stew has mushrooms. Uh, and I just love French onion soup. I think it's just delicious. Yeah, I do too. And on mushrooms, we just did, uh, I'm a culinary director for a, a brand here in Atlanta and we just put out a mu- mighty mushroom immunity soup for that reason. It's that thing like mushrooms have all of these benefits ah. to it that people sort of, you know, like you said, it's hard to work into everyday meals sometimes. And then like you have people who don't like mushrooms, my husband. Uh, so like you're, you you kind of like work around it, but I'm going to start making them more often. He's just going to have to deal with it. Um, an important aspect of athleticism, uh, athleticism is fuel and recovery. You have a chapter in this book dedicated to just that. What would you say has been your biggest source of fuel and recovery when training for a marathon? It can be a recipe in this book, or, or you can even tell us about like a couple of key, key ingredients that help you in those two categories. Sure. Um, so a lot of people like running, run people who run any amount of, of distance, once your runs are more than an hour and a half or so, you're going to want to be taking in calories. Actually, if they're more than an hour, you should be taking in something. But once it gets to be like an hour and a half or two, uh, which is like, you know, 10 miles, half marathon distance, like you definitely need to be taking in some, some solid calories. It just, it just for most runners do. Um, and so people eat these energy gels, which are disgusting. I mean, they really are gross. <laughs> Even the ones that are kind of natural. It sounds um, disgusting. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. It really is. It's this food that is, that is made to have no fiber in it. Uh, it just provides sugar. They try to make them taste like different things. And, and I don't know, I, I just have never been able to eat them, but dates, just good old medjool dates. Uh, ah. to me, they are like nature's energy gel. 
Uh, they pack a lot of glucose, which is like a very quick digesting carbohydrate. Um, so you can eat a date and like 15 minutes later, it, it will be positively impacting the energy you feel. Uh, whereas most foods, like even like a big pasta meal that people eat, um, as like their carbo limit, like that, that typically won't reach your bloodstream for, for eight hours. So like to get it really fast from something like dates, um, and they're so sweet. And when you're, when you're kind of tired, they actually taste really, really good. So sure. dates are great. Uh, a lot of people like, not a lot, but a lot of like nerdy people like me will <laughs> pop the, pop the pit out of the date ahead of time and stick a Brazil nut in place of it. Oh, uh, that, that gives you a little bit of protein and fat in there. All it right. helps you hit, get close to the, there's like a carbohydrate to protein, protein ratio you want to hit while you're running, which is actually four to one. And this will help you move in that direction a little bit. Um, so that's a good little trick. It's kind of like a nature's energy gel. Um, but the, uh, the rice ball, Stephanie has a bunch of rice ball recipes. Her husband is a, um, a competitive cyclist. So this is a little more applicable to cyclists cause they can more easily carry things like rice balls. Um, whereas a runner, you know, you'll get all smashed and gross, Sure. but, but the rice balls are really good in this dish. And, and a lot of times, like I said, I'm just not like a sweet tooth person. And once you've had a couple dates or some, some sugary things after, you know, if you're running a marathon, uh, after mile 20, typically you don't want any sugar at all. Like you don't want to ever look at sugar again. Yeah. Uh, so, so something like rice, something salty actually seems really good. Uh, so those are actually really good, good treat. Well, uh, moving into your favorite topic than sweets, cause you've mentioned a couple of times, but <laughs> sweets are your favorite thing. So <laughs> we've got two minute turtles, mango, sticky rice pops. Uh, those stick out for me when I look at sweet treats and I love that this chapter is called double duty sweets that work for your body. Are there a couple recipes that you have found from people that have, uh, given feedback from the book where they, a couple of sweet, sweet recipes from this chapter that are the most popular ones? Um, you know what? So this is a funny story. The publisher actually made us include this chapter. Uh, Stephanie also doesn't, uh, doesn't like sweets at all. And, and like, this is not a, a thing like a judgy thing where we're like, oh, sure. well, that, that's sweet. It's not good for you. I, I just don't like them. I just don't have the taste for it. You know, the sweet tooth. That's all right. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so the, I was really, when I did still test most of these recipes myself. Um, and the two minute turtles, I was really impressed with. They were good. Um, they have like uh, dates and chocolate on them. And so like, there's dates again. But uh, it's, it's a really nice little thing. It just seems like it would be like a, a very, uh, I don't know, decadent, indulgent sort of thing. But it turns out it's really pretty good for you. Are you um, the only one in your house that doesn't like sweets? Or is your whole family that way? No, I'm pretty much the only one. <laughs> <laughs> My kids used to not. But then I think that was just because they had never had them. And once they started having them, they, uh, they like everyone else, they, they just sort of went off the deep end. Sure, sure. I made the from the the fuel and recovery chapter. My uh, husband made the green bites a couple of weeks ago, and oh, they yeah. were good. But after we had them in the refrigerator and they chilled for a little bit, they were actually they were super delicious. And it's funny because you're like green bites, spirulina, all this stuff, and you're like, I don't know. And my <laughs> first bite after you first made, it, I was like, I want to see how that is after it's chilled. It was delicious. Uh, right. Not necessarily a sweet. Really, the biggest thing is getting our veggies in, right? I always say to people, I'm just trying to do the thing we've been told to do since we were kids, and that was to eat more veggies. With the sides chapter, you offer up the ugly veggie mash with parsnips, rutabaga, and celery root, truly the ugliest of all mashed together, <laughs> sesame turmeric oven fries, cumin citrus, roasted carrots, cashew creamed kale, and tahini green beans. So many ways to get veggies in. That's just naming a few very easy recipes in here for that. What's a little bit of advice you can give for people who just want to get more veggies in? General advice, not necessarily something from a book, but how can people fill up on veggies happily? That's a great question. Um, the, the first, my first like gut reaction was the old, like 
try to find ways to hide the veggies in your food. But <laughs> I really don't like that one. I mean, I've done that with the kids plenty. We put, you can put enough spinach into a smoothie before they can taste it that you actually can, can make it somewhat better. Um, and so like, that's, that's of course one way you can, you can stir things, you can blend things into sauces and kind of hide them. And like, that's fine. But I feel like that will only take you so far because you're just not going to do it that much. And if you do too much, your food's going to all be kind of not, not really as good as it could be. Um, I think the trick is, is trying different recipes and, you know, being willing to try them in different ways and like recognizing that like, yes, you don't like asparagus maybe, but that's because you grew up eating asparagus out of a can and it was disgusting. And if you actually try it the right way, if you, you know, put some olive oil on it, maybe put it on a grill uh, or just do it in a pan, like you can actually make something that is, that is really good and doesn't taste. I mean, it's, it's the experience of eating that is nothing like asparagus from a can. Right. Um, Similarly, nothing, nothing. I mean, you, yeah, I mean you're so right. Yeah. I mean, the veg, like if a veggie done right to me can be like the very best part of the plate. Oh, and that, that's always been true. It's just, it's just that like, we're so used, I mean, so, so many of us kind of grew up with this thing that, that veggies like were just this necessary evil that you had and it just wasn't good. Um, a good example is my kids, you know, I, they're always, they've always been pretty good eaters, but to get them to actually eat greens. Uh, first of all, I got them to eat salads by finding a really good salad dressings. Um, there's a great one in the book called you can't, you won't believe it's cashew ranch dressing. Mm. Uh, I mean, cashew ranches are, are unbelievably good. They, they, they just do the job of a ranch. dressing. Absolutely. Uh, lemon tahini dressing. But like, I mean, the point is just, you think you don't like salad. It's probably because you're sick of the dressing that you've been having. Uh, so I think that's, that's one. But the point I was, I was going to make was that, um, I could never get my kids to eat like cooked greens, like as a side on their plate, they would eat, they'd eat broccoli or something, but like leafy greens, they wouldn't do uh, but then we found this Brazilian collard green recipe where you, you take collard greens, you roll them up in a cigar, basically chiffonade them into, into the very, very fine threads, uh, put them into like a really hot cast iron skillet. And so they kind of char a little bit, uh, then some lemon juice and garlic and crushed red pepper. And it just is the most, it's like the best, my, my daughter who's seven wants that to be her birthday dinner. She just wants a plate of the, uh, of these Brazilian collard greens. So it's like, I mean, that, that to me is such a different experience from eating collard greens that have been boiled for two hours and are just like brown and soft and, and terrible. So I really, I think it's about just searching for ways to find good ways. But if you like to cook, like just find good ways to, to cook those vegetables instead of thinking that they're going to be, they're going to be bland no matter what. Yeah. And it sounds like finding a new perspective, maybe getting excited about the vegetable instead of how we can hide the vegetable (laughs) (laughs) and ways to cook with it. So we're actually enjoying the flavor. I love that. And you obviously know your way around the kitchen. Uh, So I love this book and the food in it, but I know you have passions for food away from the brand of No Meat Athlete. Can you share with us, you know, what you've been cooking up outside of No Meat Athlete Arena? Sure. Um, so I've <clears throat> sorry I've talked about this a little bit not not really that much though because it just doesn't really fit our, our brand. Um, Here's the place then. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> um, but I think most of the cooking I do is from books that aren't vegan, and then I will I will make the recipe vegan. So I, I really like to dig into like super traditional, super authentic recipes. I think I think I grew up. Eat, I mean, I know I grew up eating like a pretty standard American diet. Uh, so for some reason, I had this fascination with like just making the very most authentic version of something I possibly can. Uh, so like, you know, obscure kind of things. Like I have, I have a great book called uh, handmade pasta and nice. it's like, it's all the different like dumplings, pastas that they're made in Italy. Not, not all of course, but um, the woman, I think her name is Jen Lewis went on a you know trip through Italy and like learned from all these old grandmothers, different ways of making pastas. Uh, so to me to like, to spend a Sunday afternoon, often with one of my kids uh, and often my wife as well, uh, you know, just like, 
rolling pastas and then, and then having exactly the sauce and often having exactly the wine that like goes with this. Uh, I, I just really love that kind of thing. And it doesn't have to be Italian. I like it. Like I mentioned before, I like Mediterranean, I like Spain and Italy. I mean, I traveled to both those countries a little bit, uh, and gotten to explore and try different things. Um, so I love that stuff, but really, um, there's a book called, uh, Matter Jaffrey's world vegetarian and Terry Hope Romero has one also called vegan eats world. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, very she's big, podcast very big book. For you, right? She yeah, 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 yeah. We just released her episode this week. That's a very okay. big book. <laughs> yes, yeah, it is. It is, and, and every ingredient there has like thirty ingredients, or every every recipe has like thirty ingredients, and they're often hard to track down. Some of them, uh, but you know, her book's not trying to be the the easy. No, not at all. She even says it in that in that interview. Oh, really? she's, she's like, this book is like, she's like, it's intense. <laughs> yeah, it is, but it's so good because it makes it makes you feel like you're making like real, uh, whatever ramen or, or authentic. You know, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I, I just love that kind of stuff. Um, and, and I wish there were more books like that one from Terry, because what I end up doing, like I said, is buying non-vegan cookbooks and then, and then just, you know, doing what I can to, to make them vegan. Um, which is easier and easier these days with the, with the beyond meats and all that. And, you know, like, I, like, I don't think that stuff is healthy. I don't think it's a good thing to be eating probably even every week, but, uh, for that every now and then meal, when you like want to have an Italian sausage in there and and lentils aren't going to do the trick sure uh you know it's amazing that we have that that you get that close to the flavor nowadays um so anyway so i i really like that that kind of stuff um you know we make a lot of paella rice dishes uh from spain and then i mentioned all these italian pastas and things i don't know i just i just really like that and that it's tied very closely into i love traveling and love to especially to, to be able to try the food and like just immerse as much as possible in the culture which is probably cliched. I'm sure everyone likes to do that when they travel. Uh, I mean, you would think some people like to just show up and, and it's, it's amazing. Everyone's got their different travel. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What's, what's a couple dishes you've made lately? Uh, like a couple of your favorite things that you've made, maybe a couple things you've veganized out of these cookbooks you're talking about. Um, let's see. Most recent thing that comes to mind is, um, so there's an Island off Italy called Sardinia, which is one of the regions of Italy. And their cooking is just really interesting. They use like a lot of saffron and fennel seed, and they also use a lot of sausage, which is where this Beyond Sausage comes in <laughs> very handy. Sure. Um, but I just made a pasta from that recently. We made their little hand-rolled dumplings um, that that have saffron actually in them, and you, you actually steep the saffron in water water first and use that water to make the pasta. So you end up with this, these you know very bright yellow dumplings. Uh, and then there's saffron in the sauce with, in this case, Beyond Sausage. Um, and some fennel seed and some crushed red pepper. And it's just, a re- and tomatoes, of course, but it's just it's really, I don't know, saffron and tomato sauce is, is a really interesting kind of flavor. Um, and there's also like a, so I, I made, in my first book, there's a recipe for chickpea pasta soup, um, which is is uh, actually from Abruzzo region in Italy. Like mm-hmm. they, they have this chickpea, and I used to do it without the saffron because I was like, well, saffron, I'm not going to buy that. Uh, it's just, you know, too expensive or too hard to get. But that in there with the tomatoes because there's tomato it's sort of a tomato based soup with chickpeas and you put the saffron in and the pasta noodles and it just i don't know that soup to me is out of this world one of those like really simple like kind of peasant meals because apparently saffron used to be like very very cheap it was like it was like salt cheap um maybe salt used to be expensive actually but (laughs) (laughs) but it was it was like salt nowadays and it was just everyone had tons of saffron and it was cheap uh so i i don't know i love like those kind of like stories of like how this food or like the um there are lots of pasta dishes that and this is one that doesn't require veganizing, but because it already has, but like there's, there are things that translate to like the chicken that got away uh, pasta. And that's like a traditional sauce that they would use where if they couldn't afford meat, they would make really what is a vegan version. 
because uh, the cheeses would be expensive and and they in Italy they use a lot of olive oil so like it's not like it's you have to remove butter or anything in many cases um, so there are a lot of these dishes that out of necessity uh, became vegan dishes and I think it's I think it's a tragedy that we don't like know about these things so I, I really like that kind of stuff well that's great and I'm just thinking about pasta too I mean I've made vegan versions of pasta but I'm curious when you're looking at these sorts of books and making pasta from scratch are they using eggs in all of those and what's your go-to to start re- replacing that ingredient yeah, that's a great question, uh, and one I have uh, definitely tried lots of different ways. That's what I thought. That's what I wanted to see. What's what's your conclusion now? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, a surprising number of them don't require any eggs. Great. Uh, you know, it's just like a lot, especially these these like um, I don't know what the what the word is, denser handmade thing. Like some of those like soft uh, noodles, like th- those just tend to have eggs. Uh, but like these these more like tooth more toothsome kind of things, they often don't need the egg. Um, so like, but I, but I have done plenty of egg substitutes. There's a good one. I think I learned this from the Ruby cooking school at R-O-U-X-V-E. Um, I did a few months of, of one of their courses and uh, they, they have a, a combination of olive oil and silken tofu. And they, they somehow pick the numbers based on just to match the protein and fat ratio in eggs. Uh, so just a combination of that. If, I think it's like for a tablespoon of oil or maybe for like for two teaspoons of oil, it's like a quarter block of uh, silken tofu and that's a couple eggs. Um, so that, that works well enough. Every now and then I will do like the flax egg. We just mix ground flaxseed in water. Um, let's see. And then, I mean, you can use egg replacer sometimes, but that's not my favorite at all. It just doesn't right. work quite as well. Uh, so it really depends on the recipe, but I think that, I think most often, like if I'm making like, uh, like fettuccine noodles or something, typically I'll, I'll do the, the, um, silken tofu mixed with, uh, that's the one i've i've always tend to rely on the most too when i make pasta from scratch it seems like the the most foolproof one in that arena i feel like right right well so cool one of the things i love about cooking is how expansive it is you can sort of choose your own path with it it doesn't have to be so rigid or restrictive especially right now more than ever cooking can bring us some joy y'all so grab those cookbooks start cooking and don't feel like you just have to you know if you're on a certain path with food of course stick to what you need to stick to but have fun in the kitchen and and just like open up your mind when it comes to it and dive into some other stuff it shouldn't feel like a chore so i'm happy to hear you're eating more colors in the rainbow than just those that are for athletes matt <laughs> uh when we talk about the Nomi athlete book if i may circle back to that to wrap this up uh in a little bow here this is our book brag section book brag so if you can just share with us something you're most proud about uh or something that's come come from this book a book brag a humble brag about uh the Nomi athlete book or the cookbook uh i think the thing that that most i mean it sold a ton of copies relative to uh you know other other projects i've done sure so i'm extremely proud about that but like that's that's kind of boring uh what i think is exciting is that it got this recognition from from sports illustrated uh they called it a best health and wellness book of 2017 uh, which we once that happened we sort of plastered it all over the book and the website and everything so it's not like nobody knows that uh but still to me that was that was huge because what i have most wanted to do with this is like with Nomi athlete in general. Uh, it's it just make it like a mainstream thing, make it feel like not this sort of like scary preachy, like thing that, that you don't feel like you're welcome or part of. Uh, so the fact that sports illustrated recognize this when, when they're, they're just talking, they're not talking about vegan books or vegetarian books. They're just talking about best health and wellness books. Um, to me, it's quite an honor to, to be included in a list like that. It just, it just felt like, uh, you know, this is what we're, what we're supposed to be doing. So, I'm very proud of that. That's great. That's a great book, Bragg. And now we're going to move on to our Baker's Dozen rapid fire question. Are you ready? 
I think so. All right, here we go. Number one, what's your favorite pasta to make? Oh, uh, any any kind of uh, gnocchi, which which really gnocchi is, mm-hmm. is a is sort of an expansive term. I mean, any any handmade dumpling really can be gnocchi, but like like regular kind of potato gnocchi or even chickpea gnocchi, uh, I think that's just the best. Just the word dumpling immediately makes me like want lunch right now. I know. I'm it's like, please, and I just want right. all the dumplings. Uh, favorite <laughs> marathon you've ever done? Uh had to be the Boston Marathon. It was just so much work to get there, and uh, and once I did, it was it was an amazing experience. That's great. And show you just binge watched. I watched so few shows, um, but I have been watching this show. So I've, I'm really into language learning, and I watched uh, a show called Altamar, which is High Seas. I watched it in Spanish on Netflix, and uh, it's it's this like really kind of hokey, campy like cruise ship uh, mystery sort of drama. And I don't know, I just I in just Spanish. It. Yeah, in Spanish. Ah, do you speak? How many languages do you speak? Uh, I speak Spanish fairly well, and then recently I've been learning Italian, and I, I, I'm okay with that. Look so. at you! That wasn't a rapid fire question, so it doesn't <laughs> count. That was just out of my curiosity. The next one okay. is: What's the last book you've read? Uh, last book I've read. Jeez, um, I read quite a few. Um, I am blanking. Um, hang on. You know, what? I read one. This is this is so nerdy. Uh, I read one <laughs> that was about. Uh, memory, like how to how to have a better memory, by a guy named Jim Quick. Um, oh, but let me let me say what I read before that. Um, the book called Moonwalking with Einstein by Joshua Foer, I think, and it's about his like journey with these memory champions, like people who like go do competitive memory contests. Uh, and it's it's a very popular wow. bestseller for sure. Like it's I think it was from early two thousands. Uh, but it's a great book. It really really taught me a lot of things and made me learn how to uh, to memorize a deck of cards during the quarantine when we all had nothing to do. I oh was, my uh, gosh! Yeah, and it's not that hard. I mean, it's like it, you don't need an amazing memory. You just need to know, know the techniques, and you learn the techniques, and then you can do it. Give us the name of the book again. Uh, Moonwalking with Einstein, ah, which is a reference to one of the memory techniques. All right, now let's get personal. What's on your nightstand right now? Only uh, a Kindle. I was going to say minimalist man. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm, I, you, I was right. ready for you to be like, I don't have a nightstand. What are you talking <laughs> about? Uh, an athlete you want to cook a meal for? Uh, Scott Jerk would Great. be yeah, vegan ultra marathoner. Just, I mean, I, I know him a little bit, but uh, to, to cook for him would be really cool. And favorite vegetable and why? Ooh. Um, I think broccoli, believe uh, it or not. I'm here it's, for that. Yeah, it's just uh, it's it's really easy. <laughs> the kids like it, uh, but I I don't know. Like it, to me, when when you saute it and it and you don't just steam it, right? It, like that with with soy sauce, garlic, ginger. Uh, I, I think those are delicious flavors. Delicious. What's your favorite carb? My favorite carb. It's got to be pasta. Hate to nice. say anything over, over, but like I mean, I, we eat pasta a lot of a lot. Uh, That's great. I know you're not a sweets guy, but it's on here. Pancakes or waffles. Um, or, or neither. I like pancakes and okay. I like, I actually like them to be, to be sort of savory. My, all right, for, all for right. Father's day, my wife made me jalapeno pancakes with uh, shiitake mushroom bacon. Nice. And, you know, that mixed with a little sweet. I can do that. Well done wife. Uh, right. go to late night snack. If you have a late night snack. Um, you know what? I'll eat like a bowl of cereal. Like, uh, what like, kind of cereal does Matt Frazier eat? <laughs> Um, anything that is that is grape nuts like grape nuts okay. went to a phase where for a while they weren't vegan. Uh, last I heard that they are, uh, but more often I will buy like the, uh, the the Kashi version of the nuggets or right. uh, 
Yeah, those sorts of things. Okay. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's like the most. It's such a porn cereal. Uh, has no sugar at all. <laughs> and I, and like I didn't like that when I was a kid. But. I mean, I didn't expect you to say Lucky Charms, so that's okay. The <laughs> the answer was on brand. What's your favorite game to play with your kids? Um, there's a game called Set that is a card game, and it's just sort of a visual game. You have to match things up. That's that's a really great game for. All families. I feel like from what I'm learning, you guys got into cards on the the quarantine a little bit here. I'm <laughs> yeah. here for it. That's we great. did. We did some cards for sure. Yeah, pesto or marinara? Ah, uh, marinara. I think I love them both, but marinara. And final one. Favorite way to use a cashew? Um. Oh, this is a good one. I'm glad you asked this one. Uh, in that world vegetarian book I mentioned, there is a sort of curried cashew thing. You make like this mm. spice paste. Um, and I think, I think it has cilantro, jalapenos, um, those are the big flavors, but a couple of little things, maybe some, uh, some, ah, what's the, uh, the Indian paste that is, uh, that very tangy. <laughs> uh, mm, I <laughs> now you're putting me on the spot. It, I'm uh, like, mm. anyway, I'm sure someone listening will know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> y'all let us know. DM me, tell me the things. But anyway, you, you saute the cashews just for a little bit and then you toss it in that spice paste. So it takes like 10 minutes to bring this thing together and it is delicious. So it's the cashews are used to create a cream or they're actually sauteed? No, they're, oh, they're like the, they're Part like of the, the dish. The, yep. I mean, they are the dish, right? You put it maybe with some rice, but like that's the, great. the main course. Nice. Yeah. What's the name of the dish? I think it's cashews in a green spice paste. Oh, great. Fantastic. <laughs> there name. we go. Well, that's it. You did it. Round of applause. All right. Wow, I made it. <laughs> and listen, we must tell everyone, if you don't know, there is a podcast, No Meat Athlete Radio, for your ears. If you enjoyed learning from Matt as much as I did on this episode, he covers all sorts of topics from how to go vegan to plant-based workout nutrition 101, fueling for performance, and even plant-based parenting. Uh, it seems like there isn't a topic for the plant-based uh, go-getter you aren't covering, and you've got lots of great people from the movement on there doing interviews with them. So No Meat Athlete Radio is really, really a great place to get information, everyone. Uh, where can everyone listen to No Meat Athlete Radio, Matt? Uh, best place to find that is at iTunes, really. I mean, where you find every podcast. But uh, if you go to nomeatathlete.com, uh, at the very top, there's links to the blog, the podcast, and all our stuff. So that's probably the easiest place to find it. That's great. And just to say it again for everyone, best place to find everything is nomeatathlete.com. How about on social media, Matt? Where's the best place to find everything there? Uh, most of those are called Nomeat Athlete as well. We're Nomeat Athlete on Facebook, Nomeat Athlete on Twitter, which we don't use very much. Uh, Instagram, we are Nomeat Athlete underscore official because believe it or not, someone someone beat us to it. Of course, that's I uh, man, it it gets me every time when I I'm, I'm in the process of thinking like, what's my next venture going to be? And if I think of something, I go to Instagram and I'm always it's always somebody too who literally they has one post from like three years ago, and I'm right. like, so you're right. doing nothing with this? It. Yeah, I think, totally. I, I think they just thought it was like a name they came up with, and they just yep. got it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, awesome. Matt, thank you so much for being here and giving us some education and insight into No Meat Athlete. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Dustin. This was really fun. I enjoyed doing this. Aren't you so hungry now? Mm, All that talk pasta. of pasta, pasta at the end. Oh, my goodness. I must have pasta. Yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was neat to see, uh, like you said, uh, not being so rigid uh, in terms of diet. I think, 
you know, again, like you said, with athletes, sometimes feels like it's it's this or the only one way or the highway. Uh, but obviously, food uh, for fuel serves its purpose, and I and I know we we strive to do that. But but also just enjoying food is is still very important and cool to hear Matt's kind of rolling up his sleeves um, in the kitchen. Uh, yeah, those kinds of recipes. Yeah. Um, and speaking of rolling up sleeves. Mm, What's Dustin's dish? Dustin's dish. What a dish. Mm. Well, we talk a bit about oil-free cooking in the episode, and honestly, I love it. I feel better when I'm not consuming oil or smaller amounts of it, and I'm not as concerned about the empty calorie intake when I'm doing that as well. But that being said, if anyone is interested, these are just a few tips to help you try some oil-free cooking if you want to. No pressure. This is only if you want to. Just tips for oil-free cooking. I'm not coming to your home and taking the oil away from you. It's all about balance. It's all about balance. I so could tell. Just I was stay like, open. I was like, David, what do you want to say? He, he was. He no, was like, no. Yeah. I was just saying it's all about balance. Uh, yeah. Do your thing. If you love oil, then you're done with this episode. You can just skip to the end. Uh, so tip number one, nonstick is your friend. Invest in a nice nonstick, you know, skillet or frying pan. Uh, number two, when sauteing... I tend to saute with a low sodium or homemade vegetable stock. Some oil-free people use water. I like to have just a little added, uh, the, the little zhuzh of the veggie stock, oh, you know? Zhuzh. David, have you ever cooked oil-free? I mean, I feel like, I mean, not specifically, because I'm usually, <laughs> I'm usually like... I mean, you're Italian. I'm a little heavy. Remember little when heavy we were with in my oil? Italy filming the Vegan Roadie yes. season three? And y- y'all, everywhere we went, it was... But we didn't gain a pound, but it was oil on oil. And they'd be like, just, just a little bit of oil. And they would pour mountains of oil on something. And it was delicious. Oh, it and was so like good. Their version of saute is actually basically like almost frying. frying. <laughs> yes, almost frying. Almost that trying. one kitchen, it was like in a giant tub. <laughs> uh, but oh, this is about cooking without oil we'll get back to it listen the oven is your friend this is number three invest in parchment paper or silicone mats uh for your uh sheet pans to go oil free in the oven sometimes i toss my veggies in tahini or some lemon or vinegar uh lemon juice that is or vinegar of choice before roasting instead of the oil but you can also do it dry as well but i do suggest a little something to dampen it up uh number four try steaming i love 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 steamed broccoli cauliflower Mm, carrots mm, mm, even mm. potatoes instead of sauteing in oil steamer baskets are fairly inexpensive as well david you love your broccoli like falling apart yeah which is where we we like have a fork tender yeah we have a we have we can't really find the compromise well you know what i just realized as we're talking about i'm gonna start taking the broccoli mine out halfway through oh that's smart let yours steam a little longer I just like it really soft. You just, you, that's for like, you, my stalks soft. Yeah, you like it old man status. So you can How just. How dare you? I'm not blending it. it up in a blender <laughs> as a smoothie. How dare you? How dare you? But hey, look, I just came You're older this, than I am. Was, for the all right. Two hours by two hours. Y'all, we share the same birthday if I haven't said it before. It's coming up. We're turning. The big, I know. The big four crazy, zero. Right? Crazy. Yep. It's crazy. Oh, a couple more tips. Number five, of course, try an air fryer. Woo-hoo! Y'all, we love it. We have mm-hmm. one. Um, and we just, it, it's, I just made a baked potato yesterday in our air fryer without oil. It was fantastic. Put it on 360 for 15 minutes after I cut the potato in half. Done and done. Then I smothered it in kale and dal I had made. It was so, so good. I can begin to tell you. Oh, good. And it came together just, you know, in less than uh, 20 minutes. So it was great. Lastly, number six, if you just want to cut back on oil, 
Try a misto. A misto? A misto. What's a misto? You musto. You musto for a misto. It's a great refillable spray bottle you can use instead of buying the aerosol sprays, and it spritzes the oil out in a fraction of what you would use uh, from as if you as opposed to pouring the oil out from the bottle. So even cutting back is super helpful to your diet. Uh, and buying one of these bottles helps you not have to buy those aerosol cans, yep. uh, you know, so better for the environment. But also, I'm not judging you if you do. Uh, it's a really nice compromise uh, that we use here doing the misted oil in the harder Rossetti household often yes. uh, to lessen our oil intake. So maybe not going oil-free is your thing, but a little bit less is what you're looking for. So uh, try misting your oil on your goodies that you want to have with a little bit of oil. And beyond that, uh, use oil if you want to. All right? I applaud your choices, whatever they may be. Uh, those are simply suggestions. Uh if indeed you are curious about the oil-free way. And we hope you like our suggestions. Suggestion box. Um, it's pretty smooth. And I will tell you, like, uh, it's some some recipes are going to kind of be better than others with oil-free. Yeah, you know, like, it's, it's, it's touching it's personal taste. And trial it. And again, it's, it's you know... Trial it. What was that? Trial it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just kind of up to just, just giving it a shot. You yeah. know, I mean, everybody can kind of cut a little bit of oil out of their diet. Uh, and, the, and the misting uh, bottles... Are, are a great way to still kind of get that get that hit a little bit of, a little <laughs> of bit of oil, oil. y'all well, need to watch Amy Sedaris's what's it called welcome to my home uh, at, at home at with home Amy Sedaris with Amy and just a little bit of oil cream tweez please all um, but yeah so but uh, but most importantly. Speaking of suggestions, uh -huh. I suggest that you don't forget to follow the Keep On Cooking Instagram account at Keep On Cooking Pod at Keep On Cooking Pod, no G. And please like, subscribe, or follow the podcast wherever you are listening to it. Oh, yeah. And if you feel so inclined and you like what you're hearing, don't be shy and leave us a review. That's our show for the week. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next Tuesday with another book and another author. Until then, keep on cooking and remember, it's nice to be nice. <laughs> This has been a Muzzy Cat production. <laughs>